WPSL Port St. Lucie. It's 9 o'clock in time for We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie. Here are your hosts, Mike Smith and Gary Jones. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Welcome to We Are Just Christians. We're so glad you've tuned into the show today. We appreciate it very much. We Are Just Christians is a live call-in show. We're going to be on now till 10 o'clock. Hope you can stay with us during that time. Maybe even join in the conversation. As I said, it's a live call-in show. In just a moment, I'm going to give you the numbers of how to reach us so you can join in the conversation. My name is Mike Schmidt. I'm the preacher and one of the elders for the Church of Christ on Savona Boulevard. And as usual, my partner Gary Jones is here. We appreciate him being here, even though we're both old men trying to dodder along here. We appreciate you tuning in. Yeah, so I can see the screen. Gary broke his glasses and he. Luckily, he's got another pair, so he can see how to fix that pair. <laughs> and then if he gets those fixed, maybe he can see the screen to be able to look up the verses for us. Anyway, uh, that's how it goes sometimes on a live show. We do appreciate you being being with us. Uh, if you'd like to talk to us today about anything spiritual that's on your mind, anything regarding not only the Bible or Christianity, but any other spiritual topics, any other things you see in society that you think are of interest uh, in a spiritual way, we would be uh, uh, glad to have you get call in. Let me give you the ground rules, and I'll give you the numbers. First of all, uh, we, we're, go- we're not here to embarrass anybody or argue with anybody. We don't mind disagreeing, and if we think we need to, we will, and we expect you to disagree with us if you don't think that what we're saying is correct, uh, but we're not going to be uh, unpleasant about that. And in the, we'd like to have a conversation with you if possible, if you can. Some people can't, but if you can, hang on, and we'll maybe ask a follow-up question to make sure that we've understood what you said correctly so we don't go off on a tangent or misunderstand what you're saying. If you would like then to respond to what we say, you can do that. And in the end, uh, we're going to give you the last word on whatever subject is discussed so you don't feel like you're being put upon. But that's the uh, that, those are kind of some simple seemingly obvious ground rules for our conversation today, and we'd like to invite you to join in. Maybe you'd like to call us. You can reach us live here on the radio in Port St. Lucie at 772-340-1590. 772-340-1590 is the number to reach us. Just call in right there at the station. I'll patch you through to us, and uh, we'll have a conversation. One thing to remember, I always forget to say this, but um, there is a delay uh, between your conversation and what we're hearing and back and forth. So sometimes we inadvertently step on you or you step on us. We'll try to avoid that. Uh, Trust me, we're not trying to interrupt you or step on you. We want to hear what you have to say. It's just that because of that delay and we're here live talking, we kind of sometimes forget that. So we appreciate your patience in that regard and and vice versa. So 772-340-1590 is the call-in number. We're going to put you to the front of the line. If you'd like to text us, we're certainly glad to receive your text messages, and people text us all the time, not only during the show but during the week. You can reach it. Me and Gary each have a text number. Mine is 772-340-1590. I just said the wrong number. I was doing so good there, Gary. 
772-260-6120 is my number. That's Mike's, and Gary's text number is very similar, 772-260-6220 is Gary's number, and we'd be glad to take your text, not only during the show today, and we'll try to respond if we can in some fashion. Uh, we do receive texts that are helpful. They they help us to see things we might have missed in the question a caller's asked. Sometimes they give us a scripture that we haven't thought of or apply it in a certain way. Sometimes they're disagreeing with what we're saying or trying to add to the conversation. All those are great. We appreciate that very much. And so it's 772-260-6120 or 772-260-6220. And you're welcome to text us you know, all during the week if you want to bring up some various subjects. We appreciate that very much. All right, let's kind of uh, get down to a couple things here. I think start Gary's all over again. Done fixing his glasses. I, I, I don't know. It's no, okay. I'm, I'm close, but you know, I, I have worn glasses since I was in the eighth grade, Gary. Except for the last oh, since 1980. However long, how long has 1980 been? Forty years. Forty years. I, I've worn, worn contact lenses, so I have some spare glasses in a drawer somewhere. But I don't wear them unless I have to. I hate them. Well, I had the same problem you do. They're always breaking. When the kids were little, they were always bending them, smashing them off, knocking them off my head. They get steamed up when I'm walking around. I constantly have to push them up on my nose. I got one of those straight noses. I constantly have to push them up. And I have poor peripheral vision, and that doesn't help. So I just am so happy to be rid of those things. Well, I didn't need glasses until I was 42 years old, and this this is really that good this eyesight. is really a pain. Yeah, my my wife's got eyesight like that. Mine's been bad since I was young. But in any event, a um, couple of subjects today. We, we've had a couple calls recently, which we're really glad to have. Uh, but we got a couple of things kind of hanging around here that I might want to talk about. I think Gary's preference of things to talk about this morning is an article we ran across from an old Bible student called uh, from Isaiah Boone Grubbs. Whoops. Well, let's just go to the telephone. Okay. We got a telephone call, which is great. How you doing, Jerry? You there? Good morning. Thank you for taking my call, Mike and Gary. Great. Uh, I was wondering, I know that Kennedy, President Kennedy had Addison's disease, and he knew he wasn't going to live very long, and I understand that he got an annulment uh, from a Danish uh, journalist, and I just wonder, can the term dispensation and annulment, are they in any way connected? Uh, dispensation and annulment, Mike. I'd like to listen off air, if that be okay? Okay. Now, I'm going to be very, plead my ignorance about the situation with John F. Kennedy and his annulment or whatever, or the, or the disease that he had. I think I've kind of heard about that, but I'm not real familiar with it. And, and Jerry's not on the line, so I can't ask him any more about that, but I do appreciate the question. And so I don't know how to relate this to John Kennedy per se. Maybe here in a few minutes I can, uh, can look that up. But in general, uh, I can speak about dispensations and annulments um, from the perspective of, since he was a Catholic, a, uh, a 
Catholic, a Roman Catholic. John Kenny was the first Roman Catholic president. Well, is, does dispensationalism to the Catholics mean the same thing that it does to the premillennialists? Or no, it doesn't. A dispensation, I, I, he, uh, dispensation means more or less a handing down or a, ru- a ruling type of thing, or whatever the case may be, or, or something's under an ordinance. And so, uh, a dispensation would be referring to the church granting a dispensation for someone to divorce or to uh, do a certain thing. And you're basically asking for permission or an exception to do a certain thing, as I understand it. Now then, um, as far as an annulment is concerned, annulment is a different term. First of all, let's just go uh, take a look at annulments in a general way or as they regard to marriage. Annulment just means uh, making something void, null and void. So you've made a contract about something, and you need to void the contract or make it worthless, and so you'd get, go get an annulment. Well, some, Most some of the, the time these are used with marriages, but go ahead. Get so, it. Yeah, some of the things that I've seen written about it makes are, now this is just my impression, is that the annulment is to declare it never existed to begin with. Well, yes, it's make it to make it void, as if it's yeah. empty or not, not non-existent. Now, so so um, a marriage legally is a contract. With the state, you use it as a contract, and so to get out of it, according to uh, legal zoom here, I just wanted to make <laughs> sure that I was correct about this. I think I am. That um, every state has its own laws, United States anyway, about marriage annulments or divorces. And some may may apply nationwide, but in the sense that every state has them. But marriage is regulated, generally speaking, by state governments. So the party initiating an annulment has to prove that they have legal grounds to do so. And then if it can be proven, the marriage will be considered null and void by the court. So here are a few of the grounds for annulment in the legal sense. I'm not going to – we'll talk about the Bible in a moment, okay? You have bigamy. Either party was already married to another person at the time, so you, you get married to somebody, you find it afterwards that they're already married to somebody else. You don't have to stay in that marriage. You can go get an annulment. As you say, it's not a divorce. It is as if it didn't happen. It's null and void. A forced consent. One of the spouses was threatened or forced into marriage and only entered it under duress. You know, the old shotgun wedding type thing. It yeah. could be proven that the grounds to get out of it. Some of these uh, Islamist marriages in the United States have been annulled because of this problem of forced consent where a young 12 or 13 year old girl is threatened and forced to marry an older man, that kind of thing. Fraud. Uh, one of the spouses agreed to the marriage based on lies or misrepresentation of the other. In other words, they don't even tell you who they are. They misrepresent who they are and uh, all that kind of stuff. Uh, some marriages would be prohibited based on law. So they don't know it at the time, but maybe you married your sister, something like that. I have no idea why that's even considered illegal anymore. Uh, you know, considering it's, everything it's, else. Here, it's yes, if love is love is love, you should be able to marry your sister, your mother, anybody you want to. But anyway, uh, of course, that's a ridiculous concept. But um, <clears throat> I don't mean to make a light of it. It's just uh, becomes you can see in this case how it becomes nonsense. Well, we, we've come I say to make the, light of it because it's a serious issue. We, well, you can just mock come, something. I get so frustrated on Facebook. You put something on there about what the, um, these uh, 
leftists or Marxists are doing. People say, oh, that's insane. Folks, it's not insane. It's evil. It's wrong. It's not insane. They know exactly what they're doing. Okay, so don't call it calling it crazy <laughs> or insane because you don't because it violates your sense of logic. They do it on purpose. And same thing. But anyway, um, well, it comes down to the point, Mike. In in many cases, that things have have become so. There's no standard. In other words, we used to have standards of morality, and and if if there were. There's basically no standard. I'm, I'm struggling for words to do that, but we've drifted to the point where we've lost the standards that we have. Well, the only standard is whether you like it or not, whether it fits your personal morality, and whether it's, you've decided it's your truth. Then there is no standard of morality, and so all laws become just dictates by the state or by some governing body. There's no moral basis behind them, and eventually they become... Uh, it's hard for people, hard to make people do those kind of things. Now, the other, some of the other reasons given here for annulling a marriage is prohibited by law. Um, maybe two, a brother or sister trying to marry or something. Mental illness, either spouse was mentally ill at the time of the marriage. Mental incapacity, either spouse was under the age of, uh, under the influence of alcohol and drugs at the time of the marriage, or una- unable to make conform. I don't know how they have marriages in Las Vegas if that's a reason. <laughs> you, you have to be sober to get married, but anyway, which you do actually, um, to at least to get the license and so forth. Um, inability to consummate the marriage if either spouse was physically incapable of having sexual relations or impotent during the marriage, that is often a uh, generally considered a reason for an annulment. And then underage marriage, either spouse was legally too young to enter into a marriage without parental consent or court approval. They may have said that they were of age, but they weren't, and so that marriage can be then annulled by the parents or someone else. So th- those um, those are, and, and generally annulments are simpler than that, uh, you know, so that that's the, that's the difference there. Now, the problem is then transferring that, those things over to the Bible uh, as far as what the Bible says, and I presume that's what we're going to do. I, I, like I say, I'm no expert on uh, on John F. Kennedy, and I, I'm not an expert on the Roman Catholic Church, although I do know something about the Roman Catholic ch- Church's teachings. But um, annulment, the Catholic Church only recognizes divorce for one reason, as far as I know, and that is divorce because of adultery on the part of one of the two people in the divorce. And so you could pursue a, a Catholic divorce if your spouse commits adultery against you. Yeah, and I would have to make the comment, Mike, that I think that I is, think that's correct. That, that's correct. Scripturally, yes. that is correct. I think that's correct. Regardless of whether the Catholic Church teaches it or not, it does not make it incorrect for them to teach it. Right. It, it, it's, it's according to Scripture. Now, a dispensation would then be needed from a church to to annul a marriage or to grant permission to remarry again. Now, the most famous type annulment that I know of, if I've got my historical facts correct, correct is between... Uh, now I can't think <laughs> of the name of it. Was it James or Henry, the King of England? The King of England. Uh, Henry. Who, it was Henry. Henry, who wanted to divorce his wife 
and marry someone else, but he didn't have a reason to do so, according to the Catholic Church. So and we so have another he, church now. Yes, yeah, so he just started his own church, church, the Church of England, and they granted him an annulment in that marriage, and so therefore he was able to marry again. The not, Pope, not that there is another church. Right, but he, but start, he started his own church, the right. Church of England, which is very similar to the Catholic Church, except they were willing to grant Henry his annulment, and the, and the Pope at that time would not grant the annulment. Now, interestingly enough, historically speaking, in, in real life, as we say, IRL today, uh, annulments are granted by the Catholic Church for, for a lot of reasons, and sometimes, you know, as favors and so forth to important people. Whether that's correct church teaching or not, I don't think it is, but it happens that way. If you're the right person, you can get an annulment for various reasons. And therefore, you don't have to go, you can say, I'm not a divorced person. My marriage just never existed. It's like if you take off and, and grab a 12-year-old girl and go down and force her to marry you in a courthouse and pretend that she's uh, 18, the court would annul that marriage, and, and it would be as if it never existed. There's no alimony to be paid. There's no child custodies. There's no other, other situation to exist except here's a piece of paper that annuls that marriage. Well, the church was in the business of issuing these Dictates. Now, here's the problem with a lot of that. In the New Testament, we don't find the church being responsible for regulating marriage as such. That's right. And there certainly isn't anything that Gary and I as elders of this church can do to grant you a marriage or get rid of your marriage. We can teach you what the scriptures say, and we certainly have a right to accept your membership here in this church or reject it based upon what we believe your marital status is, person with two wives comes in here, we have a right to say, no, you can't be a member in good standing of this church. You have you can come here all you want to. Now now there's a difference there's a difference between being a member and attending. There well, yes, are, that's, that, that, that's one thing we need to point sure. out. We love anybody to come, even we, if they we disagree. Would, right. We would like anybody to come and attend, but to be a recognized uh, member of our group for which there are certain responsibilities that this group has to its members uh, scripturally uh, in in that sense basically we wouldn't be able to to do those things no that's right because we wouldn't we don't have any scriptural right to do that um, and, and therefore we're not going to do the, those kinds of things as far as just accept whoever comes in for whatever reason if we think that a person is openly living in uh, in adultery or some other blatant sin like that. We're just simply not going to do that. Now, when you look at then this, well, <clears throat> here's what, it, here's what uh, you know, Catholic website says about this. Annulment is the act of declaring something invalid. To annul your marriage is to declare the marriage has no legal existence. The Catholic Church has established procedures that a couple must follow when petitioning for an annulment. Primarily, a civil court must divorce a couple before they can attain an annulment, which I did not know that. You can apply. Anyone is now married or wants to marry again. The intention to marry again is not a necessary aspect of attaining an annulment. Some devoted Catholics may simply prefer to have their divorce legitimized. So then, you're going to have to have all these documents and witnesses and you know, all that gives you the cost here. You can look all this up. The question is, what does the Bible say about that? So let's go over to um, 
Matthew 19, there, yeah, there is one yeah. place to start here, because large crowds were following Jesus, and verse 3 of Matthew 19, some of these Pharisees, who were the religious leaders of the day, who Jesus continually um, criticized and condemned, but they came to him because they knew that he was, they were trying to destroy his reputation among the people. And they said to him, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Can you divorce your wife for just any reason? That's Matthew 19, like beginning 19, in verse 3. three. Yes. And he answered and said, have you not read that you who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Now this passage is in answer to a question about divorce. But Jesus makes it very clear in this case that marriage is between a male and a female in this case. And that's and really the force of the words here he's using here is one male and one female. Because when God made the male and the female, he made one Adam and one Eve, not one Adam and two Eves. And these Jews like to have all these different wives and concubines. And God, Jesus here is saying, that's not how it really should be. Well, then they said to him, why did Moses then command, to give, uh, command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? That is your wife, if you didn't want her anymore. Um, you could just give her a certificate of divorce. And Jesus said to him, because of the hardness of your heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I take that to mean that Jesus is saying in my kingdom, my law, we're going to go back to the beginning the way it should be. And that's why he, he went back to the beginning to tell you what he thought about. That was his answer. And so I say to you, here's the, here's the verse that people don't like. It's a hard verse. Verse 9. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. Other versions in Mark, it says, and he who marries her who is put away commits adultery. Mark adds that phrase. And the disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it's better not to marry. They thought, man, Jesus, you're teaching something very hard. If the only reason I can get a new wife is if she commits adultery against me. They, they, they understood, they understood exactly what he was saying. Hard. And he, he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying or do this, but only those whom has been given. Therefore, there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it. I think he's saying there, you need to listen to what I'm saying here. There is a case in which a man might need to be a eunuch, that is, not have sexual relations, because he doesn't have a right to a wife. You can get yourself in that situation. Unfortunately, millions of people today have gotten themselves in that situation. That according to Jesus, they have no right to have a wife or a husband, and therefore they have no right to sexual relations. And they don't want it to be that way. And so what they do is they seek something, they seek an annulment to make the marriage that they did have to someone go away as if it wasn't there in the first place. Right. We all... We all want to buy something from Walmart, and if we don't like it, we want to take it back and make it as if it never happened. And uh, that's the way we treat our wives and our sometimes husbands.
But marriage is different than that. And marriage, according to God, is different than that. So I don't believe that Gary and I would have any right as elders to grant someone a, a divorce or approve of a divorce that was not for the cause of fornication. We, you, he and I don't know your history. We don't know everything that happened in your previous marriage relationship. May not have any way to find that out. You know, but we're going to have to counsel you and tell you the truth is that your divorce needs to have been for the cause of fornication. That needs to be why your marriage broke up, not because you just decided you, you, you drifted apart and you wanted to uh, you know, get some space for yourself and go find yourself or something like that. That's not a good enough reason to divorce. Well, in, in you know, the eldership of a, of a church scripturally is not like uh, my perception of the Catholic church is where they adopt authority to determine what is sin or to forgive sins yes, or do things like that. That's why it's called a dispensation. They grant the permission. And, and the eldership in the scripture it does not have that authority. All the eldership in the scripture does is teach and try to correct. The eldership does not direct, it cannot, you know, basically the eldership cannot force anyone to do anything. No, but we can certainly control as much as possible what we approve of in this right. church as, as a group. We have that right, but uh, we don't issue dictates from God and stand in the place of God. But that's what dispensing sacraments is about. Of course, marriage is one of the sacraments of the Catholic Church. And it's about the church then controlling and dispensing this grace or this sacrament. And so if they say you're married, you're married. If they say you're not married, you're not married. Well, and, 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 that and so takes, you go through a procedure. They have to develop man-made procedures to do that. And that takes away from the individual responsibility before God, in my view, to, 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 to well, give God. someone else the authority to do those things or to make things just for you is, is to is to remove the responsibility from you, from you, and that's just not scriptural. Your responsibility before God will be when you stand before him and give account to the things that you have done in the flesh, and that's what scripture says. And that's, that's basically all Mike and I can try to do is teach you what that responsibility is from scripture. Uh I want to add this. You're, okay. you're, you're exactly right about that, Gary. I'm sorry I was thinking about something else here as to wh what you what, where to go with this. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to mention before, Gary and I aren't experts on the Catholic Church, although I have uh, grew up in a half-Catholic family and have some experience with it. Not only that, but then studying it and teaching about the Bible, you run up against the doctrines of the Catholic Church continually, so it's been of interest to me. So, but if I've misrepresented what the Catholic Church teaches about this, then maybe some Roman Catholic can call in and talk to us about talk to us about it. I get the impression, for example, I don't know this, but Gary Jerry asked the question has um, a Catholic background. I don't know that he's a Catholic right now, but I think he has a Catholic background, and um, that's a. Uh, you know, that's something that he can, uh, maybe somebody else can address. I don't want to misrepresent what they're taught, what they teach. But it's one thing for me to agree with it or disagree with it, and another thing to misrepresent it. I certainly don't agree with their position on annulments, although I do agree in some, in many respects, with their position on divorce. 
like you said in the yes, beginning. Yes, yes, yes. Get Jerry, Gary. But that doesn't mean that I agree with their 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 practice of granting annulments for people, and so forth. Uh, by the way, from what I can read here, I just had a chance to check it there a minute ago. That apparently, John F. Kennedy did have an adrenal insufficiency of unknown cause, but he did not have tuberculosis, and so technically he did not have real Addison's disease, because apparently Addison's disease um, is something along that line. So anyway, but he kept all that very private, so it's something you probably didn't hear about till many years later. Uh, I'm not sure how that um, how that problem and I don't think he was granted an annulment from his marriage to uh, Jacqueline Bovier. Well, that time should have been Jacqueline Bovier Kennedy. She later became Jacqueline Onassis, I suppose. I don't believe he was granted an annulment from her. I think he died as as her husband. I, he died as her husband. She, his wife, as far as I know. Of course, yeah. there's so much mythology surrounding Kennedy. There's so many rumors. Not of, only about his assassination, but about his presidency, which yeah. is almost essentially a failed presidency. But are, are, his, li- are his liaisons with other oh, women? Oh yes, yeah, that was all kept very private. Um, his, but, he was a you known know, adulterer, oh, a serial adulterer. That Jackie had to put up with that. But, just, but I'm not here to. That's not really the subject at hand, I suppose. Well, just basically from what I know, if if what I know is correct, she would have had a legal right sure, to another to put him to away. another husband. Yeah, yeah. Or to put him away if she wanted to. Yeah. To put him away and get somebody else. She had a legal right to do that, as far as I can tell. I think that's generally admitted by historians. But So we're not trying to misrepresent the Catholic Church's position on annulments or divorce. And if we have, um, you know, go ahead, go ahead and give us a call or get a hold of us in some way and let us, um, maybe we can correct the, the, the matter. Um Let's see here. Hang on a minute. Let me. I've, we've got a text coming in. Let me see if I can um, get this text answered. It says, uh, John says, Jesus refused to permit divorce. And Paul rarely quoted Jesus but did regarding divorce. Well, one of the things that I would like to point out to our listeners, if you're interested in reading, is in Matthew 19, Jesus quotes uh, passage, and that's actually from Genesis 2 and about verse 24. Uh, so Jesus is quoting Old Testament. He also makes allusion when he says what what God has joined, let no man put asunder. He's making an allusion to Malachi 2. Uh, and I believe, let's see if I can get, get the right verse here. Let's uh, uh, I think it's Malachi 2, 14 and 15. Uh, so basically, Jesus is making allusions back to two Old Testament passages in in that Matthew quote. So if you want to look at those, basically, uh, you can take a look at that. Yes. Um, if you want to look at some of these passages where divorce is discussed in the Bible, uh, you can... We can look at some of those if you'd like. In Matthew 5, uh, 5.31, uh, Jesus said, he, his, it says, It was also said by those of old, whoever divorces his wife, 
let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So there's the passage um, that I referred to before. I may have said Mark, but I meant Matthew 5. And then, um, hang on here, where's the next one here? Uh, Matthew 19 is the next one. And then um, in Mark, it's, a, it's the same reading, Mark 10, 1. <clears throat> he says, um, oh, for crying out loud, Gary, I keep clicking the wrong button here. Yeah. Um, you think after 20 years of using a computer, maybe I would figure <laughs> out how to do it, but uh, maybe not. Well, Mark, 10, Mark 10, 11, it says he... He said to them, whoever divorces his wife and, and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. So it isn't just a commandment to the man. It was also a commandment to the woman that she could not do that also, even though at that time that was very uncommon. In Luke 16, 18, we have a similar reading. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery, and he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. So, in these cases, the exception is not there. Okay, uh, the exception clause of except for the cause of fornication is not in all of those, but it is in Matthew 19, and that right. that makes sense to me because that's what joins them together. The, well, in First Corinthians chapter First Corinthians chapter seven, yes. will will shed some light on this, and then I think there's a passage in Romans, Mike, and I. You have to help me here. I can't remember exactly where that is, relative to the death of the husband or the wife. It's it's Romans uh, ten, I believe. Um, I'll look it up in a second. Okay, let me let me but, see if but, I can but, find but, it. But First uh, Corinthians seven says to the married, I give now. First Corinthians 7 is under the context of a persecution that's coming. Yes. But to the married I give charge, not I but the Lord, that the wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. So she's saying you can't just walk out on your marriage and separate for a long period of time because that isn't what is right to do. And you go back to the first few verses of that chapter, he tells them that sexual relations in a marriage should not be interrupted for any period of time without consent for a short time for prayer and fasting. You should not interrupt sexual relations in a marriage. And that's related, and that's related to this uh, situation right here. I'm sorry, folks. I, my phone is going off this morning. I'm going to have to answer those phone calls later on. But in any event... And I can't figure out at the moment how not to make it ring on my computer so everybody <laughs> in the whole world can hear it. Uh, anyway, um, this one basically says here in this case, do not, uh, do not divorce or separate. And I think that would mean except for the cause of fornication. So all this idea today that when we're having marriage problems, we should just separate for a while and live apart. Um, I don't think that fits what the Bible says, especially if it's a one-sided separation um, without the intention of working on it and being reconciled. Obviously, there are things to consider all the way around in those in those cases. But um, 
but I would say that there is some general guidance along those lines in uh, the First Corinthians seven chapter about either remaining unmarried or yeah, whatever. you, you can re- if you're going to separate. If you do separate, he's saying, then you remain unmarried. Just because you separate doesn't mean that you get to uh, you know go and have a new wife because you separate or have a new husband because you separated. Um, in uh, the, the passage you're looking for, if I can find it here, Gary, is uh, it's, it's chapter 7. It is a chapter. I knew I wanted yeah, to say Yeah, I, I, I was looking up chapter it 10. Says, uh, he's speaking about the law, the law of Moses in chapter 7 of Romans. And he's the fact that the law of Moses has been done away or put aside. He says, verse 1, Do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For, for a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. So that clears up that that gives you a second cause to get another wife, not to divorce particularly, but to get another wife or husband. That is, if your mate dies, right. you are free from that relationship yeah. and you're not an adulteress if you marry. But if you leave your husband or wife, you are an adulterer or an adulteress if you get a new wife while the other one is still alive, except Jesus says in Matthew 19, for the cause of fornication. So let's we need to be careful about this. And so when people come to me and they say, well, I've been married a couple of times, I say, well, did you leave your wife or husband for the cause of fornication? And they have to be able to answer that question. I know that they weren't thinking about that before they were a Christian, but it makes a difference. These laws don't just apply to Christians. They go all the way back to the beginning of creation. Adam and Eve were under this law. And everybody right. since then has been under Jesus. From the beginning, it hasn't been so, but I'm telling you, this is the way that it is. Now, a lot of people disagree with this teaching on divorce here. I, I understand that we've probably offended most of our audience this morning about this. Now, I'm not trying to be offensive about it. I just I want people who have never read the Bible on this matter, who have just heard what churches have done and granting annulments, and churches teach all kind of reasons for a divorce. That but they I need I, to think about. It. Well, I keep doing? going back to Mike. All we can do is what Jesus says in John twelve forty eight. He says, "He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day." We are looking at what Jesus has told us about marriage, and even even his apostles said that's hard. That's hard. That's difficult to do. But that's what he said, and I can't change that. It's it's not up to me. Now, if you reject that, you basically you become covered in what I think is the first part of that. You have rejected Jesus. When you reject his word, you reject him. Now, there, the, the, this, this teaching, I know this from having been a, a minister, an elder for many years, and so do you, Gary, presents some very difficult situations <coughs> oh, yes. to wade through with people. And I'm not trying to minimize that at all. And or to be cruel, but I have to tell people what the Bible says and then figure out how that is going to work or look in their life or in the situation that's presented to them. But the idea that's put forth, the idea that's behind much of what's being taught 
in churches and in society for sure today is that marriage is about you being happy. And if at any point in time you become unhappy, you have a right to go get another wife because God doesn't want you to be unhappy. And so therefore you have a right to get another wife or another husband. Marriages are entered into lightly based on, you know, ephemeral things like sexual attraction for the moment or feelings of what we call love, which is not biblical love at all. And so for, I'll give you the illustration. I, I did a wedding the other day, Gary, and uh, I tried to tell these two people, I'm not sure they understood me, maybe they did, that I'm not asking you today, do you love one another? I, I know that you do in whatever definition you have in your mind of love. Or you, sure wouldn't, you, love or you wouldn't another, be here. Or you to... wouldn't be standing in front of me, right? right? But I'm asking you, will you love one another? That's the real question. It doesn't matter what happened before marriage. What happens matters is happens after marriage. Will you love one another? It means love is about what you do every day toward your spouse. And that has often little to do with your feelings at the moment or your emotions or whatever you want to call them at the moment. You're, you're commanded to love your spouse by doing what is in their best interest at that time. Well, not selfishly what's in your best interest. Now, this is where our society has gone completely haywire on this matter. And it's why kids have to grow up in homes without fathers or mothers, or should I say, with too many fathers and mothers in their life. It's because people make marriage about whether I feel in love or not, and they, they divorce at will. Jesus did not sanction no-fault divorce. But our state, our state law now, and every state in the United States, as far as I know, has no-fault divorce. Jesus did not sanction no-fault divorce. divorce. And so many Christians and other people think that that's okay. And there are plenty of churches out there claiming to be a church of, of, of Jesus Christ in some way, or a Christ church, who teach the same thing, that divorce can be no-fault. And um, that's that simply isn't right. It's not right for churches to do. we got a comment, I divorced my wife because she got pregnant from another man. 21 years ago, so I guess I'm in the clear. I, I would think you're I would in the clear. Yes, you're, you're in the clear. clear. Now, of course, at least for that, for for the divorce itself. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, as far as what your marriage was about, I don't know. You see, here's the thing about it with people. I, uh, in, in doing marriage counseling, people come to me they're ready, ready to divorce. They think because they're unhappy, or because their mate has even even because their mate has committed adultery, that they have to get divorced almost. You, you can, you're permitted to, but you don't have to. In fact, people that divorce their spouse because of adultery, the numbers say later, five years later, that they're not even happy that they did that. Much less the ones that get divorced because they're unhappy five years later, they're not happy that they did it for sure. Now, look, if you divorce your mate because of like the situation we just heard, you have every right to do that. And I can't tell you you shouldn't do that, uh, anything else. Sometimes I can help you as a couple to work through that and figure out how to keep the marriage together, particularly if there are other children involved and so forth. Well, one, But one, that isn't always the best thing to do. There are some people that if you were married to them, you need to divorce them. They're adult, serial adulterers, they're destructive, they're users, and they're going to keep doing the same thing over and over again, and they've already proved that to you. God says you're permitted to divorce that person, and perhaps you should. 
There are other people that get caught up in, in things that maybe you have a hand in. Maybe you're even pushing them to that point well, let's, by your behavior. Well, you let's, you let's, need to make an attempt to reconcile that marriage. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 7 in the first few verses. Here, Mike, lies a heart of all of a lot. Now, I won't say all, but a lot of marriage problems. He says, nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife. Let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her. And likewise also wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except by consent for a time. If we understood, if, if, if married couples would practice that, many of the problems they encounter would go away. I'm satisfied well, with that. Well, it forces them to Sex. treat the other person correctly in yeah. order to continue to keep having relations. Right. And, but but what this sex does, a couple of things. It satisfies a desire that God put into us, but it also brings the man and the woman closer and closer together, particularly with time. Oh, sure. It's 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 becoming it's one It's the flesh. intimacy that, that it's it's part of becoming one one flesh. But basically this is at the root of, I think, many problems today in married life that people become unhappy with right? Uh, because, you know, basically my experience is the, the man has a greater appetite for sex than the woman. And if, you know, if this can't be practiced, then there's ultimate problems that will come with it. Right. And the two things that go together, the man does understand or refuses to look beyond his own uh, desire at that moment and see what it takes for the woman to, uh, enjoy and desire sexuality and so he doesn't spend any time thinking about her only thinks about himself the wife only thinks about herself and what she wants at the moment uh, and how she feels about it and so therefore the marriage begins to unravel whereas if if they're do what first corinthians 7 says and refuse to to interrupt regular consistent sexual relations it forces them each day to work out the differences between them and understand each other so they can be close to each other and have relations with each other. It forces that day-by-day change takes place, understanding and compassion that takes place among people that keeps the marriage working together. So there's a reason why God says that, not just so that a man can have his desire satisfied, because at least 25% of the marriages, it's a reverse desire. The woman has a stronger desire. But it forces people to be together and was, to work on that every day. It, it's interesting that my grandfather told me uh, before I was married, and I didn't understand what he meant by this. But he says, as far as your wife goes, never let the sun go down on your anger. Yes, you need to, you need to uh, even if you can't fix it that day, you need to let your wife or husband know, well, we need to talk about this and we will. Yeah. But he said, never uh, that, let the yes, sun right. go down that, on your that, anger. Right. Because basically what it means is you've got to come back together to, and, to work those things out. Right. And that's the, if you keep if you, what the Bible says, it kind of forces you to do that uh, consistently. And that is the key to long-term success. And it's not one big thing that you do. Uh, People don't know the secret. There's not one big secret. Uh, and also, so, one of the things that I think is very important when you... When you go to that wedding and you say to each other, this is this is the way it's going to be, 
there has to be a commitment to that for life. That is not what's there today. And and there's and no. That's co- why I was very cautious about getting married, and kind of uh, nervous about it before it happened because I knew, according to what I believe from my par- my parents had taught me and what I believe the Bible said that I was making a commitment for my whole life to one woman, and we were both young. She was at the time I, oh, she had barely eighteen when I became engaged. When she was nine, she was. Uh, I guess she was 18 when we got married, and uh, I was 21, so 22 when we got married. So we were young, but I knew I was making a commitment for my life. You were young too, Gary, and you've been married for 54 years, 53? Uh, this will be 53 years. 53 years. I've been married 46, going on 47. So there's a lot of married years between us here, and it, it starts with that commitment to one another. That's why Jesus says... You can't divorce for any reason you want to, because the first thing you're going to want to do after a couple of years is get somebody else and get divorced. In the Old Testament, in Malachi, you mentioned hating divorce. God says this beginning in, in Malachi 2.13. And this second thing you do, he says, you cover the Lord's altar with tears and with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness, Malachi says, between you and the wife of your youth. I'm pretty popular this morning. He was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union? And what was one? what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves and let none of it be let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. And so forth. So God hates, he says, when you divorce the wife of your youth, you cover your garment with violence and with treachery, as it were. So God hates divorce. And the reason he gives here in this verse is because it's treachery. You said one thing and now you're doing something else. And divorces almost always involve treachery or deceit on some level by one or both people. And secondly, you are going to ruin the seed, the children. You're going to damage your children. He seeks a godly seed, and you're going to damage those children. Now, we certainly can see results of that in our time and and all of our lifetime. Many of you who listen to my voice, maybe most of you who are listening to my voice this morning, have been damaged by divorce. And so for us to keep practicing it in our generation again, is um, to me, it's it's a head scratcher. Well, I'll have, we've all been damaged by it. I'll have to say that one of the very few things that Sharon and I discussed before we were married, and we discussed this uh, with each other very carefully, that we both agreed that this was for life, that there would be no breaking up of this marriage. That this was this is what it was to be. Now we we don't have that example before our society today. That's part of the problem. Everything we see from from Hollywood on on to what we're taught in the schools has put away the seriousness, or I would say the the dedication that it is to a marriage. It's all gone. It's put away. We we don't see that in the examples of the people. How many how many of our Politicians that are leaders of our of our nation have have not held 
to this truth. How many of the entertainers that we adore so often as as, uh, as a group have held to the truth of marriage? And, um, yeah, and uh, it's kind of humorous. I think there are there are a few. I, I'll, I'll give you one example. Uh, one actor that I generally like to see, and and I I think he was he was a very good actor. His name was Charlton Heston. He was married to one wife all of his life. She was married to him all of her life. There was never any evidence that either one of them had had marital affairs throughout their married life for many years. And he's the only one that I can really point to with any confidence that I think was that. And he was asked in an interview one time because the reporter just couldn't believe that they were married for that long and without, you know, basically sexual liaisons and things like that. She says, well, did you never consider divorce? And I thought his answer was a little bit humorous, but probably had a lot of truth to it. And he said, no, we never considered divorce. Murder, but never divorce. <laughs> so, well, we haven't considered divorce either, but that doesn't mean we haven't. We've always got along and everything is well. That, that was the point I was yes. going to make. You, you will not always get along. You will not but always. Lo- that's why I asked the question at my due wedding ceremonies. Will you love the other person? Will you do? today by choice what is in their best interest uh, toward them not what you what is in your best interest or what you feel like doing will you love them because that's what love is it's a sacrificial doing what is in the best interest of another person well see that's that, that's what I have to say Mike one of the things that I observed with Sharon and I is is my love for her and I believe her love for me has changed its character from what it was when we were first married we were, I was, I was, I had just turned 21 and she had, she was only a, she was only a few months away from being 20 when we married. But the character of our love has changed. There was a lot of passion. There was a lot of emotion. And now it is more of a care for each other and taking care of each other and more of a, a help to each other than what it was at that time. That's that's the best I can describe it as. Well, uh, the research shows that physiologically, when people, when two people meet and they are attracted to one another, that all these different hormones kick in, of course, and that the flush, the presence of those bonding hormones and attraction hormones will last 18 to 24 months. So uh, a newlywed couple... And they're going to peak at a marriage, for example, at a wedding, for example, oftentimes, especially if they've not been living together. Well, they're going to have a period of 18 to 24 months where they're not going to notice all these problems that they've got that need to be addressed as much. But slowly, but over time, they begin to see the cracks in the wall, and at, then they enter a period of disenchantment. Sometimes after two years, sometimes four or five years. It may take as long as four to seven years. Seven years. Really that- yeah, and that's by seventh year, uh, that's when you're getting these divorces, four to seven years. Because that's when the reality that this isn't all I thought it was going to be and all my hormones are kicked in. Now I see things clearly and they're this way and they're that way. When, when you can make it through that period of disenchantment, now you reach a period of maturity, which is what you're talking about, Gary. 
where you can have a mature relationship with the other person and you realize how much you need them in spite of their differences. Their differences drive you apart, but now they can pull you back together again if you don't divorce. Well, there comes, a, there comes a time when the both, both the man and the wife have to realize this person is what they are. They are not going to change. Not fundamentally. No, and, and they shouldn't change. That's why you need them. The immature person says, I need them to be just like me, to be compatible. The mature person says, I'm glad they're different than me because we're making a great team together. And you learn to appreciate what the other person has that you don't have and what they give you that you don't have yourself if you can become mature. But we don't make it through that. And when you begin to live together with, to, with one another, when you have you be, move in as a married couple when you're not married, you, you end up sometimes with a destructive, the worst of all worlds because you're pretending to be married when you're not. You act like you're committed when you're not really committed. You're still testing it all out. You use up all the good hormones, and now you have to decide whether you want to get married or not. You use up all that time that you have of infatuation, loving the other person, and you're still not committed to the other person. And so the Bible way is correct and right in this case to do that. Well, uh, you know, we better we better wrap this up here. You got any last thoughts on well, this? Well, particularly we, I want to go back to Malachi 2 and 15. Did he not make them one and why? He seeks godly offspring and therefore take heed to your spirit. Basically, it's the effect on the children of that marriage that right. I think God is thinking about primarily in, in some of the things that he has said that we should do. Right. Now, there are a couple of the points that John brought up in, in text here that probably should get you if we have real quick comments about them. He said that women in the earlier times were often very vulnerable when they were did not have a husband, and that's correct. And that's why marriage is about more than whether you feel in love or not. Marriage is about taking care of another person. And then also that arranged marriages last longer, and I believe that's probably true statistically because of the commitment that's involved in that. Marriage isn't about feeling like you're in love, finding your prince. It's about something much deeper and better than that, and much more takes much more commitment than that. It's about making if you'll it, give it a chance if you'll do it that way. It's about making a life and a family. Yes, and that involves putting up with things that you don't like all along. Now, look, I, I, we haven't even talked, Gary, about people in abusive relationships and violence and all that. That's another subject we're going to have to tackle and tack on to this. Uh, and I ha have some thoughts on that from the Bible. But, but I, this has to be, this has to be what, the basis, Mike. This, this has, is the basis of it, yes. This has to be There's the basis. There's always a reason we can find to justify what we want to do, but let's make sure we're not doing that. Well, we appreciate you listening today uh, to the show. We appreciate those who texted in, those who called in, those who are, who are listening, and uh, we want you to join the conversation. Maybe you can next week. We don't want to invite you, if you enjoy what you hear on We Are Just Christians, to come and visit with us and take a look for yourself. We, the Church of Christ on Savona Boulevard meets at 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard here in Port St. Lucie. That's the north end of Savona on the west side, just behind the little shopping center. You'll find our building. You're going to find ordinary people who love the Lord and who are just trying to be just Christians. We'd love to have you come and be with us. You can also take, and we meet at 10 o'clock this morning for Bible study for you and your children, 11 o'clock worship, and 7.30 on Wednesday evenings. You can also take a look at our website, wearejustchristians.com. Wearejustchristians.com. You'll find recordings of these radio shows and all the sermons from the church. 
that will benefit you. Thanks for listening. Tune in again next week, and may God bless you. WPSL, Port St. Lucie.